0: Hey friends, it's Jessie here. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to make sure that you know that there are some tickets available for my upcoming in-person postnatal fitness specialist live workshops. PFS live is a one day only small group mentoring event for fitness and health professionals and anyone who has a keen interest in postpartum exercise and pelvic health. So next up is Fort Myers, Florida on February 16th and then Vancouver, British Columbia on May 24th at past PFS lives. We have had personal trainers, physical therapists, pelvic physios, doulas, group fitness instructors, yoga teachers, and chiropractors all in attendance you'll be leaving the day feeling super well equipped and confident in strategies for coaching a client in fitness or in their pelvic health who is earlier or later postpartum with diastasis recti, incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse. Plus, we cover other topics in practical and lecture-based discussions on cesarean scar massage, body image conversations, treating and coaching from a weight neutral perspective. And looking at our businesses from an accessibility standpoint, we leave a lot of room for group chats, ensuring that you get your questions asked and answered in a really comfortable small group setting. There are only 20 seats available for each event location with many of those already scooped up. I would absolutely love to have you there the magic of these in-person events is really untouched, and I cannot wait to see you in real life. Grab one of the remaining tickets for Fort Myers or Vancouver at jessymundell.com slash pfsa-live, which will be linked in the show notes of today's episode. Hey friends, welcome on to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jessie Mundell. I am so jazzed for this episode today. We get to speak with Erin Hinton, who is a certified Canadian counselor and a bunch of other things that we will get into, but the focus and theme of this episode in particular is going to be about relationships in, between partners in parenting. Erin, we're going to talk about the work that you do and love in couples counseling, and I think for particularly how we can have more mutually fulfilling and beneficial relationships
1: with our partners through parenthood. Sound good? Yeah. Hey guys, super happy to be here. I, all I can think to call you is Juicy Mundell <laughs> because of that Instagram post of that, one of your clients that just like kills me, it cracks me up.
0: Oh my gosh. So funny. <laughs> I love the internet. The internet is how we met.
1: Yes, it is. Hey.
0: Yes, and then I had one session with you prior to the birth of my second baby, Theo, and that was super helpful, and I have just loved your work since, before that and since, and let's dive into all these things. I'm going to give a quick intro to you, and then you will tell us more about who you are and what you do professionally. Cool. So Erin is a daughter, sister, wife, mother, friend, and certified Canadian counselor. The birth of Erin's first child, Everett, inspired her to translate her counseling work to helping individuals and couples manage the challenges that come with big life transition. Aaron wholeheartedly believes that relationships are the most important gift in our lives and that building strong bonds with the people we love can heal past wounds and bring joy and hope to the future. Working from a foundation of attachment theory and mindfulness, Aaron helps individuals and couples better understand their experiences within relationships. Connecting with people is Aaron's greatest passion, which is why I was so excited to talk to you today. (laughs) So tell us more about you
1: and the work that you do currently and how you got here. Yeah, so um, I'm actually American. I moved to the beautiful city of Calgary and the beautiful country of Canada in 2009. So I've been here almost 11 years, actually. Um, I got my master's down in Northern California um, in counseling. And then right after that, moved up here to Calgary and um, did some work before I became a mom uh, with a nonprofit counseling agency. So I was really working with anyone on our wait list. We offered free and sliding scale counseling. And I was, technically I was a green counselor. I had had experience working as a school counselor, but in terms of clinical counseling, um, I was getting most of my experience on the job. And um, I had so much, panic when I had to pick up a couple off the wait list. I, and I went down the aisle, there was an open door policy at this agency, which was so lovely. And I just like went to every single season counselor. and was like, I'm terrified. Like, uh, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I'm not even married yet. And I think I was engaged at the time. And like, these people are in their fifties. Like, how can I help them? This is ridiculous. I, I don't have experience with couples. And You know, the reviews were really mixed. Some therapists were like, oh, that's why I avoid couples at all costs. Like, it's terrible. It's so scary. It's like, it's just, it's so much tension and drama. And there's just so much work. It's so, it's such hard work. And then one counselor who ended up becoming a bit of a mentor to me, he was like, it's so great. You know, the impact you can make um, with a couple really trickles down to the individual. If they have kids, it trickles down to their family. It trickles down to their extended family, their work. It's really like the most impactful work you can do. And that really inspired me. So I jumped right in to that first couple session and it, it was, it bombed. Um, But I was hooked. Like it, it was great. I ended up building quite a beautiful relationship with this couple. They, they trusted me uh, miraculously with their relationship. And in, in, I fumbled my way through really just connecting with them. And that's really what my work all comes down to. It's not about the billions of hours of training you have under your belt or the millions of certificates you have or how old you are or where you've worked. It's really your ability to connect um, with the people you're working with. And in the case of the work I do couples counseling, it's a really dynamic. Um, it's a really interesting dynamic to have to connect with not just one person, but two people. And then they have to feel comfortable together with you And it's a lot of work, but I love it so much. So anyway, that's kind of how I got into the couples realm. And then I became a mom and I was just like, holy shit. I never had any clue what I was doing, talking to parents, trying to like empathize with parents or have compassion with them. Now that I'm in it. Wow. Like I have so many tools and I have what I consider to be a really great foundation in my, in my primary relationship with my husband. But geez, I'm struggling. And we're struggling and everyone around me seems to be struggling. So um, that's when I went down to Seattle and got trained in John Gottman's Bringing Baby Home program, which is um, a program designed to support pregnant couples in really investing in their relationship before they become parents. Because we know that that life transition is just, it's, it's huge. It's terrifying. It's exciting. It's painful. I love what you say every day. I hear you say it's hard right? You acknowledge on your podcast, like the stuff we're doing is hard. It's not easy. And, um, so yeah, then I just, my partner, my business partner, Amanda and I really, um, we kind of left what we were doing and started our private practice and really focused it on, um, relationships, particularly, um, in the beginning, we were heavily focused on couples, um, it, that were just kind of, parenting kids five years and under. So really either pregnant, expecting newborn phase on mat leave, kind of that postpartum spot and into kind of the thick of it with kids that are growing. So yeah, that's what I do here in Calgary. Now that was like the longest spiel I've ever given, but (laughs) thanks for listening.
0: Oh, that was great. Oh, such important work. As you said, I think that is so true about the trickle down effect, working with couples and how the impact just spreads and melts to everyone in that whole sphere. So, so true. So I'm interested after baby Everett was born, what did you feel was so hard about, first of all, personally for you in your own life and then
1: in your marriage too? Um, yeah, so what was really, I would say challenging for me was, and I think they're all kind of heavily tied together, um, was just the loss of identity that I felt. Um, I'm someone who's really social, really outgoing. I love being out. I love experiencing new things. I love uncertainty and spontaneity and taking risks. And it surprised me, actually, that after Everett was born, I really felt this deep sense of, like, staying home and, like, kind of grounding myself to the simplicity of that kind of newborn phase. And I I say simplicity. It was not simple. But from the outside, it's like you're kind of just at home, going through the motions there. And um, that kind of shocked me, how I kind of, like, Quieted myself a little bit. And then six months postpartum, I remember thinking, Am I ever again? Am I going to get Aaron back? Like, I have a horse. I love to horseback ride. All of a sudden, I was scared to ride. Um, I, my Everett never took a bottle. He didn't sleep. It was quite horrific. I think I still have some like trauma around sleep because even now at bedtime, it's like, ah, it's so stressful. Um, but that was really, yeah, that was really challenging for me It was, yeah, how I, I used to go to concerts all the time. Like I used to go to the mountains all the time. I used to fearlessly jump on my horse and gallop around a field and none of that was really there for me anymore. So it took me a while to build that identity back up. And I have to say that was definitely a challenge for me in the beginning. And then loneliness, um, loneliness was like palpable for me, um, I remember just looking out my window and being like, am I the only one doing this right now? And just being desperate for Ty, my husband to arrive home from work. And if he was like 10 minutes late, it was like devastating to me. Um, so that I, I would say that was really just like the identity and the loneliness was, was a huge challenge, um, for me in those beginning days. And like, you know, there were beautiful sides to that too. I really surprised myself and I didn't think I would be as nurturing or as patient or as happy as I was to just kind of be doing, um, that quiet stuff, but, um, you know, it faded after a while. And then I was able to, to reclaim some of the stuff I loved and I was able to let go of some of the things that just aren't me anymore. And also like had to develop quite a bit of self-talk around like, this is not conducive to your life right now, but when and if it feels okay, you can bring it back in and give it a try. Maybe something new will show itself um, as a part of your identity. And so, yeah, you know, that's an ongoing process though.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I had written down while you were talking was just long time in caps, because I think this shift of identity in this refiguring out who this new version of yourself is. It's just this thing that keeps developing and going and going. It is a wild process to go through. Yeah, I think totally. Do you feel like you went through more of the same after your second kid was born or was it slightly different?
1: Um I would say it was different. Um, it took us a really long time. Um, my family's down in the States. I do have in-laws here in Calgary. Um, but it took us quite a long time to get, um, comfortable having a babysitter or childcare come in. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the struggles within my marriage and I'll tell you a little bit about why that was, um, why that was challenging. But, um, by the time we had Maeve, our daughter, um, I knew that I could leave for like an hour. And I also knew what I was just starting to get back right before I got pregnant with her was like riding my bike, going on like a pub crawl with friends and not having to worry about being home. Um, you know, that sort of stuff. And so when she was born, I was like, how can I hold on to that sort of stuff? Um, in a, in a realistic way in this place of my life right now. So I, I, you know, I remember she was just a newborn in the spring. And I said to my husband, do you think I could just like take a quick bike ride, like downtown and back? And he was like, yeah, why not? And I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And I hopped on my bike and I rode my bike and I just had this like stupid grin on my face. And I was like, Mary Tyler Moore, like waving to people as I biked by, like just like nerding out, so excited to just like be free. And so when she was born, I definitely, I had more confidence in leaving her. I had less judgment about myself in, in needing and wanting that alone time. Um, and, you know, you also, I think this is, this is true of some families. It's not true of all families. But that second child, you just feel a sense of confidence. Um, and, and this is really, I see in my practice related to the temperament of the second child, um, and the temperament of the first child in that comparison, but um, you feel like a little bit more confident that like green poop is normal and they will sleep one day. And, you know, when they're screaming and crying, I haven't broken them <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And, and now, I mean, my daughter is, she's gonna be five in May and I'm still uncovering parts of myself that I'm like, wow, I wanna do this or, I don't want to do that anymore. And sometimes it's, it's scary work to do, but it's, I'm finding it to be really exciting right now.
0: That's well, so cool to hear. I love that. I think that that's what we talked about quite a bit in the counseling session I had with you was that I got, Pregnant again when my first was two years old, and it was like just coming out of this fog and feeling like I was landing in my body and myself again. And then it's just whole everything's up in smoke, and you try to figure it all out all over again. It's just a lot of effort, and I was so terrified of going through this whole transition of self again. But also, there was a part of me that was a little bit excited because I knew that these good, big things were going to
1: come from that. Eventually it just having the trust in that. Totally. Totally. Trust and faith are so huge. I think in this area of life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all, for all of life, but it really like became illuminated to me, this place and time. But it's like, you don't have to rush things. You don't have to, just cause you're not doing it today doesn't mean you're never going to do it, but we really panic. I think it's you know? so true. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. so let's talk about more of the partnership in parenting things. Mm-hmm. I think that this is by far the hardest personal development work that I've had to do ever in my <laughs> life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh God, it's been so hard. My husband Randy and I, we have done couples counseling for the first time throughout the last, I guess we're coming up on maybe like three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. And we started when our oldest was, I guess, just over a year and a half because things just felt really like, what the fuck is going on here? Can we not even speak to each other anymore without, yeah, like someone getting angry, someone being defensive, all the things. So uh, let's start at the beginning because I love that you work with pregnant people before baby is even born. What right. are you doing
1: with them to help them? Okay. So when I'm working with a couple that's pregnant, one of the things that um, that we start to talk about, um, well, we, we talk about two things quite heavily, I would say, in in those first few sessions when a, when a couple is kind of marching towards that due date and that is family of origin. So we're starting to talk about, okay, what was your upbringing? Like, what sort of roles did you see your parents play? Who raised you? Um, and we even have like a quiz that we'll do. It's a family of origin kind of, um, inventory. And it's like, who took care of the finances? How were finances discussed? What sort of emotions were okay to share in your family? Um, who made the big decisions? How were decisions made? Um, you know, when it came down to, like housework, what who what was that? What did what did that look like? What did family time look like? Um, you know, who was the parent that was primarily in charge of kind of taking care of the children? And this is important to start to pick apart because this is going to really inform um, how you're viewing yourself and how you're viewing your partner and how you're viewing your whole kind of like level of functioning after becoming a parent. It's not everything, but it's a piece of the puzzle. And it's something to just be aware about. You know, if you had a particularly um, a traumatic childhood, if you've identified already that you have, an insecure attachment to your primary caregiver. I mean, this does not in any way mean that you're doomed or that parenting or being a family is going to be harder for you than anyone else. It just means it's something for you to develop a relationship with, to be curious about and to know and to bring your partner in on. Um, so that's one of the big things we're talking about with pregnant couples. And also we're starting to talk about expectations because, (laughs) and I laugh because this is something I didn't think I needed to talk about, um, with my husband. And one thing I know is after babies are born, the biggest thing I see, whether it's a mom coming in to talk to me alone or whether it's a couple coming to me is resentment. That's like the biggest thing that's showing up is this sense of resentment. And what we know is resentment um, resentment is fueled by missed expectations and couples can be really scared to talk about expectations cause it can feel like a setup. Oftentimes we're like, we feel really smothered or boxed in by an expectation. But the most beautiful thing about expectations in a partnership is we get to say, no, I can't meet that expectation or we can negotiate the expectations. You know, I don't want to be a stay at home mom, but what if I worked part-time and did this, or I don't want to wake up with the baby every night, but what if I did this? You know, we, we get the chance to say no or to negotiate. And if our partner doesn't like that, that's information for the relationship. And that's information regarding how we move forward. Um, but it's an important thing to do so that we can at least try to be a bit on the same page when it comes to what those like, weeks and days and months look like after a babe is born. Um, and then it can all get blown out of the water, but at least we've started the conversation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So those are really like the big things we're talking about. And then of course we're checking in with like, what are your apprehensions and anxieties? What are your fears? Some of the dads I work with are like, I didn't have a dad growing up. I'm scared that I don't know how to be a dad. Um, some moms it's their, it's their second time around and they're really, really scared of having postpartum anxiety and depression again, um, or of hemorrhaging or, um, uh, or of having to navigate boundaries with in-laws. Right. So, uh, we're, we're checking in around all those anxieties and how can we prepare for those and kind of resource ourselves for those. So,
0: mm. Yeah, so important. It's funny mm-hmm. because just before you had mentioned expectations, I had written down unmet expectations.
1: Yeah, totally. It's everything. It's re- it's really like the core of everything <sighs> in couples work.
0: Absolutely. And this plagued Randy and I so intensely through that first year, two years postpartum with our first and like you said the resentment like i had never i don't think i had ever felt that in my in myself so deeply but that's what i resonated so much with through that first time postpartum i just felt so resentful of the difference in our experience of me becoming a mother and him becoming a father yes yes and i was so angry about what, again, what my experience was like as the mother, as the primary parent, as the stay-at-home parent, and with Randy being able to get in his car and drive to work or be around adults or go to jujitsu or whatever sport or hobby or activity he was doing. And like you were mentioning with your first, my first steal didn't take a bottle ever. And so there was just all these layers And I'll mention a couple more. First, being the pregnant person to go through the intense physical work of pregnancy. And then for me, a difficult birth, struggling with PTSD after that birth. It was all this stuff. Like he could never understand what I had gone through. And we ended up in the same place. But then he got to, from my view, enjoy this type of parenting that felt so different than the parenting that I was doing.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, it is hard stuff. Oh, for sure. And I, I that as soon as you said you felt that deep resentment that you, that was um, unfamiliar to you. Oh, yeah, I remember feeling the same thing and being like this isn't me. What's wrong with there's something wrong like and 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 the frustrating thing is our rational brain can sit there and be like this is short term. This is what it is. This is like whatever, right? But then that like emotional brain comes in. And then, you know, we're not even talking about, like, patriarchy and, like, the residual impact of, like, the 1950s kind of nuclear family. Like, you know, that and the mental load, it all contributes so heavily. But, yeah, it's, it's such a glaring difference what most of us see between, like, that primary parent that's at home and the other parent that's at work yeah it's stark for sure
0: we have patriarchy and misogyny written down here on our list of topics we wanted to discuss so let's just jump into it because i am so interested about how patriarchy shows up in parenting And this is something that Randy and I have conversations about continually and have for the last almost five years. So for me and Randy, it's super important that we strive for equity in our relationship as partners and then more globally in parenting and our family life too. So we do lots of work around this, having counseling as well. I'm interested, can you go into this a little bit further? How does this show up for the
1: couples that you work with? Well, interestingly, it kind of goes back to that first session where um, if, if I get to work with a couple when they're pregnant or even when they're in that newborn phase, you start to kind of see those expectations come out, right? And this can come from either, you know, if I'm working with a heterosexual couple coming from either like the male partner or the female partner, this um, assumption of what a woman should do versus what a man should do, what's appropriate to ask a man to do and what's expected of a woman to just fulfill. So sometimes I will see that coming out and I have to say as a therapist, that is something I work on in my own self every day is checking my judgment against that sort of stuff, checking my own triggers about that sort of stuff. And that's both towards like the male partner and the female partner, because of course, as an individual and as a wife and a mom, I, and as a member of society, I have, um, I have my own place that I lie on that spectrum of beliefs and so I have to check that sometimes because for some couples they willingly and wantingly um agree to this sort of standard of division of labor. Um so when it shows up if the couple's okay with it then I have to be okay with it and support them in making that make sense for them. Um And that's kind of the rule of thumb for all of the work I do, right? If I'm working with a poly relationship, an open relationship, if I'm working with a relationship that has different standards around handling finances or different standards around sex and intimacy, like I am not here to judge. I'm here as long as you're safe and you're happy, I'll support you in that. And so that's something I'm doing. Um, I see patriarchy come up often in fertility working with, um, couples who are challenged with infertility, the expectation that it's the woman's fault, that it's, um, the woman's job. And, and quite typically with the couples, I see it is the female partner that's spearheading the visits, the tests, the check-ins. And I see, um, a lot of that, like what you were talking about, Jesse, that sense of like deep unfairness, like why? And then that question of like, if this was a man's responsibility, what would our world look like? How much easier would it be? Or what, you know, what would that, what would that look like? And, um, so that's something I've been seeing quite actually a bit lately. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then it just also, I see, I see men being impacted by patriarchy as well in terms of the stay at home dads I work with, not finding a place in the world where they fit. Um, You know, you hear about dads being asked to leave, you know, school pickup because they look creepy or they shouldn't be there. You know, dads, you know, being given strange looks when they're in like a baby class or something like that. Um, And so, you know, you know, we have a lot of work to do (laughs) in, in this area. Um, So it's something that I, I always start off with curiosity within the individual and the couple what that oh. looks like and feels like for them. Yeah. yeah.
0: I love that. I think it's so important what you said about questioning your own judgments and your own biases. I think I would struggle so hard with that. I love that. Well, you, you don't
1: have to in your work, which is really beautiful. Like you can have, and, and I can to an extent and my people will come to me. But yeah, That's when you're true. in that place. <laughs> and I think that it is
0: so... Uh, key to just keep asking this question, is this working for everyone? Is this truly working for all parties involved? Because Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of moms, a lot of people who identify as women, and often the partnership is not working for them. Mm
1: -hmm. And it
0: might be very much so working for their partner. Right. So something that Randy and I, especially me, took into the second time around postpartum I had this question at the top of my mind and I thought about it every day. And it was whose health and well being are we prioritizing here in this relationship, in this whole family? Whose health and well being is the priority? Because so much of the time in the first go around postpartum, I felt like we were prioritizing Randy's health. And I was falling into that too as a people pleaser, as someone who is conditioned in this society of patriarchy and misogyny, of wanting him to be okay, wanting the kids to be okay over myself being okay.
1: Oh, and I hear that all the time when couples are talking about that night waking. Oh, well, he has to get up and work tomorrow. It's like the downplaying, the dismissing, that you're right, that prioritization is really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. It is, and it can show up in so many ways, and we mm-hmm. can write them off as small things. That you know, what it's just easier if I do it. I know how to do this faster. I know what the baby likes to do. I know how they want to be comforted. But then you realize you're doing all the shit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and and in this and, and enabling it. Yes, right, enabling like that lack of growth, engagement, risk discomfort that our partners need. We had to go through it. Like I didn't want to squeeze a baby out of my body. Like I, I wanted the baby, but did I want to like endure what I knew was going to be like so scary and unknown? Like, no. But it's the same. I mean it's not the same. You cannot compare it. But um, you know, that's another thing oftentimes that uh we're doing with couples or I'm doing with couples. Um, in that new baby phase is walk away, leave the house, like empower your partner. If they're not taking the reins themselves, like what we hear from dad so often is, well, she just jumps in or she judges the way I do it. Or like, I want to do these things, but I don't know how, and I'm scared to say, I don't know how. And so how can we like hear that and support that and support ourselves through that process? Because, Um, I see a lot of women stuck in that place of really wanting their partner engaged, but when it comes down to it, jumping in and not allowing it to happen or telling themselves like, this is going to be a disaster. Like you said, it's easier if I do it, it's faster. I know how to do it. Um, and you know, this is something I was thinking about a lot last night in terms of like the podcast was it's not about both of us doing it perfectly or both of us showing up all the time um that's why we're in a partnership like you know your partner can also carry the brunt of the weight for a while too and that's okay
0: absolutely yeah something that Randy and I were working a lot on in counseling and still it is daily effort is like you said for me to sit back and to allow him to step up because mm-hmm. he is so capable such a great dad and able to do all the things that I'm able to do, even if we might take different routes to getting the same result. Right. But like consistently reminding myself to not jump because, because yes. I, <laughs> I have seen these examples of women jumping to do the things in all of my life. And yeah. so to resist that is super challenging, but so necessary again, to prioritize my own health because I don't want to be the person who is doing all this stuff. I want my kids to yell for mom and dad the same amount. I don't want it to be my name that is constantly yelled in the house when they can't find something or they need something.
1: Well, and that's not beautiful. And that's not going to come without you doing work too. You exactly. know what I mean? A lot of times we're like, oh, it's just like, it's my partner that needs to do all the work, but no, we have to do just as much work <laughs> sitting there and like soothing ourselves through the like, the house is a disaster or that's not the way they like their snack prepared or whatever. And that's why for so many moms, I'm like, just go, (sighs) go to the coffee shop down the street, go leave yes, (laughs) and like resist the temptation, like challenge yourself, challenge the anxiety, resist the temptation to text or call. (laughs) The new thing that a lot of (laughs) parents are doing now are those like damn cameras in your house. Gosh, I yeah. know anyway. That's a whole other topic, but I'm like, do not be creeping on your partner <laughs> and talking over the speaker like the baby's crawling into the kitchen. Like, that's not helpful either. You're <sighs> still there. Anyway, oh my gosh, that's it's so 2020. Funny. It's 2020.
0: I have to tell the, a quick, hilarious story about exactly this. So, two weeks ago, I was driving into the city, into Calgary to go to an event, and Randy would be parenting that night. Before I left, I told him that I had bought more Annie's mac and cheese in the box if he wanted to cook that for dinner, just so he knew it was there. Long story short, our littlest one has reacted to so many foods. We know he has peanut allergy, egg allergy. We're unsure about tree nuts, but he has reacted to some before. And as I was driving into Calgary, I thought, oh, I wonder if I should tell Randy not to use the almond milk to make the mac and cheese. Right. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not gonna tell him because he can think about that. I don't have to be doing all the mental and emotional load to be thinking about that. But this is kind of big stuff because our kid might be allergic to almonds and we don't actually know yet. Totally. (laughs) So a few (laughs) days later, Randy is making more mac and cheese for me and the kids for dinner. And he was like, how do you usually make this? And I was like, well, usually I just drain most of the water, leave some, then add the cheese and the butter, not use the almond milk because of Theo, obviously. And he was like, oh, shit, I used the almond milk last time. And it was the funniest situation because Theo didn't react. Good news. He's not allergic to almonds. But I just thought it was so hilarious that he I love it. didn't consider it Oh my goodness! It was just such a great example about how I could have stepped in, maybe should have stepped in, but didn't had to really check my own stuff around that and sit back
1: and allow him to figure it out on his own. Jesse, I love that so much. Do you mind if I share that? Oh, please do. Okay. Okay. Not your identifying information. Oh, sure, okay. but, um, I love that. And I love those examples, right? Because this is the thing that we know as women, and there's that really beautiful, I don't know if you've seen that French cartoon uh, that depicts the mental load of yes. like, the colleague comes over and the baby's in the kitchen. It's so great, right? And and I love that the message around it is like, what? how can we help it? Well, we can help it by talking about it, by being aware of it, and um, by challenging ourselves to let some of those things go, you know? and yeah. um, and And then we really have to sit and think, when we think we're letting it go. Cause you probably thought I'm already doing enough. I'm leaving the kids and Randy's in charge, but you took it one next step of like, and I don't also need to scaffold this entire dinner making thing. Like he can figure it out and guess what? He can also figure it out if something happened to Theo, you know, cause you could have very easily forgotten or not thought about it or not told him what to make for dinner. And So, uh, yeah, that, that idea of the mental load is so fascinating to me. And it's something that, you know, I'm really interested in the male brain, um, because it's something that is really genuinely challenging for my male clients to wrap their head around what it feels like to have a Rolodex of things in your mind and how to take on some of that stuff. I really feel that there's a genuine challenge there. It's not just a oh my partner will do it while I just sit here and not do it. It's it's something more, you know. And it is societal as well, and historical, and anthropological, all of those biological fun things. All the um,
0: ickles. Totally. <laughs> do you see this show up similarly in same sex relationships?
1: Um. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, it's it's funny you say that. Um, a friend of mine is in a same-sex relationship and we were all together, a bunch of us like heterosexual parents, and she's in a same-sex relationship um, with two little kids. And we were kind of complaining about, you know, and I try not to do this too often, but complaining a bit about like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my partner didn't even notice this. They walked by it like 12 times or you know, and then they forgot to do this or whatever. And, and then we were talking about our guilt over making, um, baby books and how like, I'm just not creative. And this is something that like keeps me awake at night. I'm like, Oh, my kids aren't going to have these beautiful baby books that all my creative scrapbook or mom friends have. And I'm such a failure. And what does that mean about me as mom? And all that bullshit. And I was like saying that to her, like, why doesn't he stay awake at night thinking about that? And she goes, Oh, well, my partner takes care of all that. She made, she makes a scrapbook for every vacation. And I was like, God, that sounds nice. Match made in heaven. And she goes, no, I just married a woman. <laughs> and it really made me laugh. Right. Because in that moment I was just like, Oh yeah. I wonder what it would be like if I was married to a woman. Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all different. Right. And we all have different strengths. We all have different skills. We all have different areas that we're working on and different things that we're challenged with and i think in terms of relationships and this is why again i love the work that i do and i love um the foundation from which i do it everything is about attachment so whether i'm working with a poly relationship where they're bringing in another person whether i'm working with a relationship that's like set up like a triad where there's three people in a relationship living in the same home an open relationship it all comes down To attachment. And so when we feel unsupported, when that connection feels threatened, or we feel like you know our partner doesn't see us or hear us or get us, that makes this sort of stuff, the missed expectations, the like like you were saying with you and Randy, and I know I experienced this too. Sometimes my husband will just give me a look and I'm like, what the hell? Or I'll make a face. And he's like snaps at me, and I'm like, I was joking. You know, like that all boils down to attachment. We're disconnected. And so in that moment, we're not able to attune to one another in the way we could. And and that's across the board. That's with mom and child, dad and child, best friends, siblings, adult parent-child relationships, heterosexual, homosexual, like all types of relationships. Attachment is there and it's present. And it's usually at the core of where we're coming from. So again, like all my answers are very long-winded, but um, I would say it, it, when it all boils down to attachment, no, there's not really a difference I see there. And I have to say, I haven't worked with that many same-sex relationships in parenting to, to say that I've noticed any, um, any differences. And that being said, almost all of the couple's research we have at this present moment is on heterosexual relationships. So that's, you know, where attachment comes in because it is everything. So even if we see the nuance between male and female, and I always say that to my clients, you know, when I'm talking about dynamics, these are dynamics in, in heterosexual relationships. And when I'm working with a same-sex couple, oftentimes they're like, oh yeah, she's that person and I'm this person, or he's that person and I'm this person. And so it really just comes down to like, kind of not necessarily roles we play, but how we show up. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> Yeah. That's super helpful to hear you talk through. Is there more research being done currently on
1: same sex relationships in parenting? Yes. Yes. There is more, more research being done. Um, and one person that I just love so much is her name is Martha Kauppi, K-A-U-P-P-I. And she, uh, her company is called, uh, the Institute for Relational Intimacy. I think her center for relational intimacy. She's out of Madison, Wisconsin. She's a former midwife and she's a couples therapist. Now she, um, she's done all of her training and she is specializing in poly and same sex relationships and non-traditional relationships. And she's got a a newsletter or like a blog that goes out every week. And she is talking about really, really cool stuff, lots of sex and intimacy stuff. And um, if you're a therapist or if you're a human that works with, um, anyone in a non-traditional relationship or if you're in a non-traditional relationship herself or her, her stuff is great. Mm, okay. Amazing.
0: We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Mm-hmm. I know we have to wrap up here soon, but I want to tackle one last question. And it's something yeah. that I hear from a lot of my clients who would like to go to couples counseling, but their partner doesn't want to go to counseling. Well, what's the next step?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I like to say I get creative here. <laughs> I get creative here oftentimes. And because of the kind of, uh, framework that I practice within, sometimes I will have a, like, um, a client come to me and it will be evident in the first session that, you know, their relationship is at the core of what's going on. And so sometimes we'll discuss, would you feel comfortable bringing your partner in here? Um, and then, you know, their, their partner has to feel comfortable coming and seeing me who's already kind of connected with their partner. Um, that's kind of a whole other conversation, but, um, when there is hesitancy with a partner to come into counseling, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes I will say, just have them call me. Because when I get on the phone with someone or when someone gets to meet with me face to face, like we're just talking, like we're talking and we're, I'm using four letter language and I'm sharing stories about my life and we're laughing and they start to realize like, oh, this isn't a clinical place where I'm going to come in and these two women are going to side against me because typically I I mean, it, the truth is what I've seen overwhelmingly in my practice is it is the male partner that's hesitant to come into counseling. Sometimes it's a cultural thing. Sometimes they've had a bad past experience with a therapist. I hate to say how actually prevalent that is, that people have had negative experiences in therapy and that keeps them from reaching out again. Um, uh, and there's just a fear that they're going to be asked to change. Or that there's going to be an expectation that they become a different person or that they let go of something that's really important to them. And so if I can just talk to them, or if even we can just have a quick like 15 minute in face chat, um, oftentimes they're like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be like, yeah, I can totally come in here um and i'll tell them like i've got an entire like wall that's a whiteboard in my office so you know i'm like i jump up there and i'm like teaching you guys stuff and we're like mapping out relationship cycles and like you're going to walk out of here feeling like not worse about yourself but better about your relationship and your ability to connect with your partner so one of the things i request is like just let them get in front of me like just let me talk to them sometimes what i'll say is would your partner be willing to come in to this session as a supportive person to you so particularly if it's a new mom and they're having challenges communicating with their partner we'll set it up not as a couples counseling session but as what i call a supportive session so you know if i were working with you jesse and you were like yeah randy and i are just fighting all the time or he doesn't understand postpartum or you know we're we're, we're struggling with this um bring randy in like we're gonna talk to him and i can help him to understand what we're working on in here, what some of your challenges are. And so sometimes if we started off as like a supportive session where the expectation isn't couples counseling, then the partner is more willing to return again and to actually consciously do the couple's work. Um, One of the things I'm always checking in with on that first session is like, where's your headspace? Like, where are you guys at? And because sometimes they'll look like they're really engaged and excited to be there, but they're actually like, I just want to fucking run out the door right now and I'm already judging you. And I think that you hate me and I'm wondering what you're going to tell me I have to change. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. And so, um, yeah, I mean that that's helpful. Sometimes I'll send literature over of like what to expect from couples counseling or common myths about couples counseling for them to share. Um, and then this is the challenging thing, Jesse, oftentimes we just have to sit with that what does it mean that you're in a relationship with a partner who is not willing to go into this uncomfortable space for you and for the relationship. And that's a lot of the relationship work I'm doing is sitting in the discomfort of finding answers where maybe there are none and making sense of things when you're getting a no, or when you're getting an, I don't know, or when you're getting kind of that pushback. So a tough one but it's a really good question so i say yeah let me talk to them or i'll send them over some literature and then the other thing too is just keep coming and working on you and developing strategies for yourself and sometimes that alone the other partner's like wow what have you been doing with your therapist oh you know and sometimes it's like would they be comfortable seeing their own individual therapist and then if i could get them my list of people I really trust and love to do like really cool work, then that can be a, a helpful end too. If they're interested in even just like meeting with a therapist for 15 minutes, just to chat.
0: Love it. So helpful. Erin Hinton, you're the best. Where can we find more information about you?
1: Oh, I'm like so terrible on the professional socials, but you can find me at um, my website, um, if you're in Calgary, we are in the West Hillhurst neighborhood. So near Kensington, we've got a parking lot. A lot of people are concerned about our inner city location. Um, I also do like Skype sessions, FaceTime sessions, sessions out in nature. If you want to meet me at a park and go for a walk, we totally can. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to provide like a 15 minute phone consultation in office consultation, FaceTime consultation. Um, I am on Instagram at we are kindred YYC um, trying to be better on that platform. But my last post was probably like eight months ago. Um, we can talk about that in another, in another episode, <laughs> my issues around that. Cause my personal Instagram's on fire. Um, and we're on, we're on Facebook as well, but currently, yes, our website would be the best way to connect. Wonderful. We'll post it all in the show
0: notes. Thank you so much, Erin. That was so fun.
1: Thanks, Jesse. You're the best and safe travels to Florida. I can't wait to hear about what you do down there. Yes. And you to Costa Rica. Enjoy. Thanks, girl. Thanks.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com.
1: And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher.